Let's open the perfect Word of God that fetches us knowledge from afar to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the book of philosophy in the Divine Library. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. What is the purpose of man in the world? What is the purpose of man under the sun? The answers are given in the 12 chapters of Solomon's book of philosophy. What a wonderful book it is. And the Lord led us to it a number of years ago to consider the 50-odd lessons of philosophy that are contained here. We are studying affliction for a few sermons And this is one of the places to go. What is the purpose for man under the sun? And Solomon has a few things to say about it in way of introduction. Chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Amen and amen. God raised up this particular preacher, Solomon, king over Israel and Jerusalem, and gave him extraordinary wisdom, extraordinary riches, extraordinary privilege and power, of a king at peace, all the time in the world, because he didn't have to fight battles, to go and explore the purpose for man under the sun. And so he applied himself to the task, and he found it to be sore travail. It's a painful existence in many respects. And God's given us that kind of a life to exercise us with it. That we would learn some things. It's a training ground. It's a school of hard knocks. It's a place for us to learn about Him and about us and to learn the proper response to Him. He says in verse 14 that when he had surveyed everything that's done in the world, that it was all vanity, worthless, profitless, empty, and vexation of spirit. It just caused a lot of frustration, trouble, fear, and worry. He said in verse 15, to add to that, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. If God made you five foot nine inches tall, you can't be six feet, no matter how many cement blocks you tie to your ankles and hang from a pull-up bar. What God makes crooked, you're not going to make straight. And some unbeliever will raise their hand and say, well, what about crooked things that can be made straight? They aren't really crooked. So why are you asking? When God makes something crooked, no man makes it straight. God may make it look like it's crooked, and by us putting it in a cast or something, we can straighten it out. That's by His witty inventions that He gives, 
and it wasn't really all that crooked to begin with, or you won't straighten it out. The next clause in this 15th verse is, and that which is wanting, the parts of life in which we need more. The, 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 the topics of knowledge where we want more, they cannot be numbered. God has left us with a numberless number of things that are lacking to be fulfilled and perfect and complete. And so this is Solomon's announcement to us as we consider afflictions that it is sore travail and it's to exercise us. And hopefully today we can learn a little bit about what is God trying to teach us by the exercise. Let's go to chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, much more could be said and has been said about that verse, this verse, and any one other verse that I'll mention from this book. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. So we're getting part of the answer to the question or the issue of chapter 1 of why we are exercised in this world with sore travail. That we would learn to fear God. We can't add anything to or take away from His work. And the reason God did it that way and that He is absolutely sovereign over the details of our lives is for us to fear before Him. Let's come over to chapter 7 in this wonderful, unique book in the 66 books of our Bibles. I hope that you are always thankful for God's divine library that's already been mentioned in prayer, and I hope that you love it. There is no other library like this one. These 66 books are of all kinds, all types of literary genre, all different off different writers. There's 40 different writers in the pages of the Bible. But what a book of Ecclesiastes contained in the library on the shelves of the house of God. Chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which He hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. It's a gift from God. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. We don't want to discover anything else. We don't want to look anywhere else. You are not going to get help anywhere else but to turn to the Lord because He has set the day of adversity, over against the day of prosperity, so that you can't find anything without His blessing, direction, and government, and providential care of the universe, including you. You know, there's a a common misconception that every good gift comes down from God, and every bad thing, or every sin, or every evil event is from some other source. That's hogwash! And mark your calendars, for my gentility. That's baloney. Mark it less. 
God also, also, meaning there's two things under consideration. God also hath set the one over against the other. Now, Mrs. Job, she had got a liberal arts education, and she came to her husband and said, Look what he's doing to you. Curse God and die. And he said, We've been living together 40 years, woman, and God has blessed us abundantly. And shall not God also send evil along with the good? See, Job knew Ecclesiastes 7.14, though it hadn't been written yet. Because he knew it by the Spirit of God. And we want to remember it. God sends both. The devil doesn't send evil in the world. The devil can't move without God giving him leave. He's got a report in, and he gets questions like this. Where have you been? Does he say, I don't want to tell you? He salutes. I have been down in the earth wandering to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? He doesn't say, I don't want to talk about Job. He says, yep. I saw that he had a hedge about him and that you're blessing everything that he does. I can't touch him. The devil is not the source of evil. When an evil event happens, the devil may be a secondary cause, like he was in the life of Job, but the first cause is Almighty God. And the devil knew that, and God knew that. It was God's hand that was heavy upon Job. Just read the first two chapters carefully. Satan says, about God's hand. And when we get to the 42nd chapter, if you read that carefully last evening, you find out that all of his brethren came back to him and comforted him about all the evil that the Lord had brought into his life. Because this verse tells us that God sends them both. The day of prosperity and the day of adversity. And the purpose is that we would find nothing after him. So right there, we've almost got the solution complete. You know, when something bad happens in your life, it's from the Lord. Worship. When we look at Job 1, and Job had everything taken away, remember this about Satan. You can touch all that he has. If you think that Job has only serving me because I bless the things that he has, touch everything that he has. But you can't touch him. God doesn't have to yell that instruction. God doesn't have to repeat that instruction. God doesn't have to put that instruction in writing. Satan knows that there's a line drawn. He can't touch Job's body. But he sure did touch his stuff. And he sure did touch his family. But what did Job do? Job worshipped. Job worshipped. Job worshipped. Job didn't whine. Job didn't want to tell everyone about his problems. Job worshipped. Job worshipped. Some of you don't know how to worship. You want to tell everyone about your problems. You want to whine about your problems. You want to make yourself like you're some unique situation in the earth or in the church, and you're not. All of our problems are common. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There's no one suffering more and there's no one suffering less. All our problems are common. We just don't talk about them. We worship. And we want to be like Job. He worshiped. When David lost his little love child with Bathsheba, the product of adultery, he went in and he worshiped. He prayed 
that the Lord might deliver the child and save it for seven days upon the ground, neither eating nor drinking. But when the child died, he worshipped. And we want to have that attitude because as we look in this book of philosophy in the divine library, God says the purpose is to exercise you to fear me that there is nothing outside of my government. It's from me. Now, in case I forget it in the heat of the battle, go to Job chapter 33 and let's just see before our eyes the five word solution to the whole book. The book of Job is another book in the divine library. It is the story of a man suffering far more than you can even imagine. Your little hangnails don't compare to the life of Job. And the, they're hangnails. Job 33 is Elihu explaining. Now he's, he's mocking Job's Bad speech in uh, verses 6 down through 11. Uh, Elihu is referring, he's quoting Job about what Job's been saying for the last 30 chapters. And Elihu, the young man that understands what's going on, gives the answer in the 12th verse. Behold, Job, what you said, what I just quoted, behold, in this thou art not just. You are not right in what you've said about God that He isn't dealing with you fairly. I will answer thee. Remember, this is the man that is perfect in knowledge that was with Job who fetched his knowledge from afar, who would not say any false words. This man Elihu said, I will answer thee that God is greater than man. And that is the solution to the book of Job. You don't have to try to plumb the depths of this book. The answer is in five words. God is greater than man. We are His creatures. He can do whatever He wants with us. Look at Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, do not forget, please do not forget, that God is greater than you. God doesn't answer to you. God doesn't answer to me. But he's perfectly just, he's perfectly right, he's good and he's loving, he's faithful, he wants to exercise us. The best and the wise athletes choose the hardest and strictest coaches to get the most out of them that they might achieve the greatest in their athletic endeavors. And yet you whine when God sends you something. He's exercising you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember Bela Caroli? The Romanian trainer of gymnasts? Remember him? Oh, you poor people. Okay, you should. Do you you ever hear this name? Nadia Comaneci. How did she get a perfect score in gymnastics? 10, 10, 10, 10. How did she get a 10 in the Olympics? Because she had a coach that was a monster. But God is not a monster. God is our loving Father. You know, parents parents that signed on the dotted line and gave their little girls over to Bela, you know, the Gestapo probably had easier concentration camps. If you know anything about the man I'm speaking of. But he is highly revered because he would get the best out of his students. 
And the Lord is exercising us, and He is not a monster. He is our loving Heavenly Father, and I will ascribe righteousness to my Maker. And I will defend Him and honor Him and glorify Him. And I love Him for every choice He's made in your lives and every choice He's made in my life. Some of them are painful, but without painful choices, we can't learn anything. We don't learn by prosperity, and those little girls don't learn gymnastics by picnics. When they are trying to do a flip on a balance beam and land on their back on the balance beam, guess what they're doing five seconds later? They're doing it again. You say, that's horrible. (laughs) I sort of agree. I never was very good in the balance beam, and I didn't like it. You know, for a guy trying to do something and landing, straddling the thing, it's painful. Don't mark your calendar for that one. The Lord is not a monster. He is our loving Father. And if we would just embrace this and worship. Look at this. Isaiah 45 and verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Have we had the word maker this morning from Job 36? Whoa! Never should we get angry with God. Never should we question God. We can question ourselves because that's where questions belong. What have I been doing lately? What is wrong with my attitude? We can question ourselves, but we don't question God. Look at the exclamation point. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Don't fight God. Don't fight your circumstances. Embrace them in worship. You can pray against them if you need to. But you better pray submissively and humbly like the Apostle Paul did. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker! Exclamation point. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. If you want to argue with somebody, then argue with somebody at home. But don't argue with God. Go ahead and argue with another broken piece of pottery because that's what you are. This is the Word of God to us. I don't try to stroke you. I'm not Robert Schuller. I wouldn't be good at it anyway. This is not the Crystal Cathedral. You're a potsherd. I'm a potsherd. We're all broken pieces of pottery. And if we want to discuss something, discuss it with another broken piece of pottery. But don't lift up your mouth against your Maker. Third sentence in the verse. Shall the clay, that's what we are, made from the dust of the earth, shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, this is, should the work that God has made out of the clay say back to the potter, He hath no hands. What if God made you without hands? Worship. Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. You would modify that and say, the Lord never gave. But in both cases, you would worship. It's not your place to fight with your Maker. He doesn't owe you hands. Can somebody find me in the Constitution of the United States or in the Bible where God owes you hands? He doesn't owe you genetic perfection. He doesn't owe you anything. He's the creator. He's the maker. And look at what the verse says. Woe, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. What makest thou? Why did you make me this way? Why am I like this? 
Why am I vulnerable or susceptible to these sicknesses? God made you that way. Worship Him. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, that is his wife, your mother, What hast thou brought forth? Why am I so short, mom? What did she have to do with it? The Lord's just comparing all this for our benefit. To worship him. And so we get started this way. Understanding affliction. God is greater than man. And He has given us this sore travail that we should be exercised thereby. And we want to be exercised. Because exercise makes us better. We want to be better and better and better Christians. And it takes this sore travail to make us better. Prosperity doesn't make us better. Like I said, now for the second time, then picnics would make those little girls that are under Bela's tutorship better gymnasts. It's got to be adversity. It's got to be affliction. And so we embrace it and we worship. This is one of the great philosophical questions of human existence. Why so much pain and trouble in the universe, in the world, among men? We have the answer, and it's a great privilege and pleasure to speak on the behalf of God. I thank Him for it. I'm the least worthy of any man He's ever had in the pulpit. We have had That just magnifies His grace that I was ever ordained to the ministry. We have had our share of afflictions and trials recently, and it's good for us to consider them wisely, though the recent spate of them has actually just been different kinds. It hasn't really changed because afflictions are common in life to everyone. The Bible's a comforting manual for our lives from the Lord, our Father in Heaven, to deal with all these exigencies that pop up. A trained response, and that's why I'm exercising you today, a trained response will keep us from being discouraged from whining, from complaining, from barking against God. So we want to train our response. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a great response. You should say it to yourself every day, every time something bad happens. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away and train ourselves. We should train ourselves. God is greater than man. It'll give you useful advice to help others. Just saying, oh, I'm so sorry for you. That's no help. Usually the people that need to hear that are already wallowing so deep in self-pity that they're almost drowning. What we need to do is encourage them that God is in charge of the afflictions in their lives and He will have mercy upon them. And then you can dip into the 40 reasons or so that I'm going to try to give you in these couple of sermons about affliction. Because the Bible's filled with explanations. And it's not going around and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Why are you sorry? Why are you apologizing for what God chose to do? You know, we can say a little bit of that at times, but then we want to embrace them and encourage their faith and build them up in the Word of God. That's that's where we need to put the emphasis. And the reason I'm speaking the way I am is because everyone else wants to emphasize, I'm so sorry, as if that's helpful. The real help is understanding where afflictions come from and why they are sent. We want to be exercised by them. Are you going to say to Nadia Komenich, I'm so sorry. Are you kidding? She embraced that kind of training. And she was the greatest. I know, and she wasn't an American, but she is today. I hope that helps you like her a little bit more. I don't know a thing about her. 
I can vaguely remember it. Maybe the 72 Olympics in Munich. Six. Montreal. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's just a good illustration that to be a great Christian, we need a great master of our religion. And we have one. Our Father in heaven and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's what the Bible says. And we don't want to faint. We just sang a song about not fainting. We had verses given about not fainting. We don't want to faint. And if we faint in the day of adversity, and adversity is another word for affliction, then we're weak. We don't want to be weak. You're weak if you faint. Because there's God behind you. You have Christ in you. If Jesus had fainted, you go to hell. Jesus didn't faint. If Paul had fainted, you would have never heard the gospel. Paul didn't faint. Let's not faint. And the purpose for our church is to come together and encourage and exhort each other in the Lord, in the Word of God, so that we don't faint. There's very specific advice in the Bible about our proper perspective and the right response to tribulations. God's best have had many terrible and long-lasting afflictions far greater than anyone in here is even capable of imagining. Like Jacob. And the, the list is long for Jacob. Joseph. The years between the age of 17 and 30 down in Egypt by himself. Job, Moses, Naomi, Hannah, David, Abigail, Hezekiah, Esther, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, the Thessalonian church, and more examples in the Bible. If we aspire to be like David, and I want you to aspire to be like David, I want to help you be like David, I want to be more like David, then we need to deal with affliction and adversity the way that David did. And we have his journal. Can you believe it? The man after God's own heart kept a journal. He did. There's at least 150 days in there. And the Lord edited it so that you didn't get any of His junk. You just got what was inspired. And you have David's journal. He suffered affliction far greater than you can imagine. And he told us about it. And he told us how he dealt with it. He even told us, and he wasn't embarrassed to do so in Psalm 42 and 43, that he talked to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Is that talking to yourself? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He says it three times in two chapters, 42 and 43. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? See, you ought to be talking to yourself rather than telling us about your problems. Tell tell your problems to the Lord, but worship Him and ask yourself, am I as good of a Christian as I should be? Because that's the real issue. We don't want to get better in health. We want to get better in spiritual graces. That's what's important. That's what the Lord wants from us. You know, you read through all of Paul's epistles and there's hardly a single word wasted on physical health. You know, when he gets to health, he says, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Come on, quit drinking that water over there. Get better. Maybe a little red wine will help you. You know, because the emphasis, you know, out of all those chapters, ten chapters written to Timothy were for him to be a great man of God in a spiritual way. Oh, Lord, help us. David wrote his journal, and we can find great comfort, and we want to learn 
to react to adversity like David did. If we're going to be conformed to Jesus Christ, we want to learn to deal with suffering the way that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Consider his prayer about the greatest affliction that was right in his face in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right in his face, he, he knew that the mob had already been formed and was making its way in, toward and into Gethsemane. And he is sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, not telling his disciples. He's telling the Lord, and none of you have ever resisted unto blood against sin, and the Bible wants you to know that, that you have never had a temptation like the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is on his knees, and he is wrestling with the Lord, and he does it three times. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he worshiped. Not my will, but thine be done. If, if we want to conform ourselves to be better Christians, to be more and more like Jesus Christ, we need to face affliction the same way. We get down on our knees. Father, if it be possible, could you take this from me? Nevertheless, I'm going to get up from my knees and I'm going to go about this day in zeal for thee. Help me to do it. I'll leave it up to your will. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Look at Philippians chapter 3. See, this is what Paul wanted to learn. and this is, I've mentioned this to you a number of times recently because this is truly the higher ground. Right. Philippians 3.10 Worshiping when you're suffering. That's higher ground. Complaining when you're suffering or wanting to talk about it, think about it, write about it when you're suffering. That's not higher ground. That's lower ground. Amen. Here's higher ground. And Paul is our example. And he tells us in this very chapter that he is our example. In verses 15 and 16, verse 15 especially, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And verse 17, brethren be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. This is how we should learn and how we should be exercised in dealing with adversity in life. Verse 10, Paul said, after he said he counts all things but dung in verse 8, he counts all things lost in verse 7, and this is why he gave up everything, verse 10, that I may know him. He wants to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. He wanted a victorious, empowered life. And here are the words, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to come into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ by the sufferings that he brings into my life, responding to them the way that he responded to the suffering that God brought into his life. We had read to us by Chris from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about that suffering as well, bearing in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. We want to, we want to gain in fellowship with Christ by taking, receiving, enduring, and responding to sufferings the way Jesus our Lord did. You know, we're calling this understanding afflictions. It's a Bible word for these Bible words. And these are only some. Affliction, afflictions, 
Adversity, adversities, evil, evils, fear, fears, temptation, temptations, trial, pain, pains, persecution, persecutions, sorrow, sorrows, travail, trouble, troubles, vex, vexed, vexation, vexations. Oh, yes. The Bible is filled with it from one end to the other because God's given this sore travail to the sons of men to be exercised by it. God gave us paradise and we said we don't like it that way. We don't want a picnic in paradise. We want pain in purgatory. And so he turned this world into the made-up place called purgatory of the Roman Catholics where we're all suffering to some degree. We chose it. How in the world can we complain about it? We chose it. Lord, help us. The afflictions that can come in your life might be hail damage, health issues, mechanical failure, financial problems, car accident, IRS audit, hot weather, employment difficulties, genetic weaknesses, strained relationships, red lights, or slow drivers, marital unhappiness, moths or rust, need of a spouse, bad moods or disobedient, bad moods or forgetful minds, robbery, bad night of sleep or stubbing your toe or bad hair day, difficulty selling property, disobedient children, forgetful spouse, failing memory, loss of confidence, traffic ticket, stock market reversal, terrible parents and home life, or just about anything else that you can add to the list. Why? We didn't like Eden. We didn't like Eden. We did not like having the tree of life available. So there's thorns and there's thistles and there's flies and there's bees. There's car accidents and traffic tickets and there's IRS audits and there are broken marriages. And on and on the list goes. Lord help us. Sometimes our affliction can be hearing and seeing on other, others unable to properly bear their afflictions. And that becomes an affliction. Help us, Heavenly Father. It's all from the Lord. Do I need to say any more on that? I hope I don't. Not a sparrow can fall from heaven without your heavenly Father. Matthew 10, 29. And in verse 31, he says, Ye are of more value to me than many sparrows. In between, verse 30, he says, All the hairs of your head are numbered. Does that sound like you're in good hands? The doctor doesn't know the number of hairs on your head. It amazes me that some people will go to doctors over and over and over again. There's one great benefit. You will have a long list of problems. If I take my well-running Honda Pilot to five mechanics... When I get home, what will I know about my fine-running Honda? It has 13 problems, costing a total of $9,000 because I was stupid enough to go to a mechanic. When you have a bone broken and you need them to put it back together, tape a stick beside it so that it will grow straight, go to a doctor. But if you want to be running off to a doctor all the time, they will fill up your page because they can't earn their pay without telling you that something's wrong because it makes you happy when they tell you that something's wrong. Because then you knew that you should have gone to the doctor. No, you shouldn't have and you wouldn't know. Because nothing's wrong much of the time. Just like if I pull my Honda into five mechanics... Five mechanics, even in this good town, are not going to send me home saying, that is one fine running automobile. They will find something, even if they have to put the screwdriver through my exhaust system. Think. Don't go looking for problems. 
Lord, help us. Afflictions are from the Lord. We want to respond to them like Job did, and I've given you all that. We've looked down through a number of verses I don't need to say anymore. Knowing that affliction is from God and for good reasons should give us immediate comfort. If they're from God, then He knows. He knows. He knows every ounce of pain, every ounce of fear, every ounce of worry, every ounce of anxiety or care. He knows. So there's comfort in knowing they're from God. He knows. He hears Hagar. He sees Hagar. Hagar, the bondwoman, kicked out, divorced, rejected, fired, lonely, black, Egyptian, bondmaid of Sarah is out there and the Lord finds her. Charlie read it to us last Sunday. Genesis chapter 16. All the verses are about Hagar. She renames God. Thou, God, seest me. She was the most despicable creature on earth. She's pregnant. She's kicked out, rejected, fired, Think of every term that you can. The poor woman was lonely in this world. But Genesis 16 tells us that the Lord heard her and the Lord saw her and the Lord sent an angel to her and said, you're going to have a son named Ishmael and he's going to be the father of a great nation and the great nation that came from Ishmael is still in the world today. And the nations that came out of him. Thou God seest me. Knowing that God sent affliction means He knows. It means He limits. We're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians 10.13. There hath no temptation taken anyone that they are not able to bear. And that it's common with man and that God's given a way to escape it. God can remove it and God can give grace to bear it. That is all known from the fact that God sent it. He sees me. He knows what's going on. He can limit it. He can remove it. And He can give me grace to bear it if He doesn't remove it. Afflictions occur for good reasons. We have, we have organized the Bible in the past into four large categories of why bad things happen to Christians. And these four things are good to memorize. They're good for you to know and they're good for you to give to others when they are suffering affliction. Number one, for the glory of God. God does things for His own glory. What do you think about a man that was 35 years old in John chapter 9? The entirety of John 9 is about this man. He was born blind. Now do you think that's unfair? Should we should we start yelling against God right now that a man was born blind? There's no one in here blind. He was born blind and he was blind his entire life. The disciples looked at him And they thought that they should be like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. That is the friends of Job that said, Job, the way God's treating you, obviously you've got some secret sins in your life that you're not coughing up yet. We're sitting here. We'd like to hear them. Go ahead and tell us. How many women do you have on the side? What you been snorting in the bathroom? You know, whatever they were thinking. What, what idol have you been worshiping? They, they blamed him for sin because of negative events. The apostles were the same way. And brethren, there's a reason it's in both Testaments. You and I are the same way. Right. When something bad happens to someone, I wonder what they've been doing. When something bad happens to us, why is God judging me? Oh, Elihu, thank you for just telling us God is greater than man. And sometimes he can just give us a little adjustment. And there's really no sin in our lives at all. It's for the glory of God. The apostles said, Jesus, 
This man, he's been blind for 35 years. Who sinned that caused his blindness? Him or his parents? Neither. Oh, you're kidding. How could he be born blind? It's for the glory of God. Amen. And do you know what the glory was? That Jesus got to heal him from blindness and convert the man. Because right. the chapter ends with Jesus looking up the man for the second time. Do you believe on the Son of God? Who is He, Lord, that I might believe on Him? Give me a seeing eye dog and a cane for 35 years Amen. to have Jesus say to me, I am He. Lazarus. The Most of chapter 11 of John. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three dear friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved them, and the Bible tells us that. The two sisters send a message to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Jesus said, don't worry, the sickness isn't unto death. Well, he did die. Uh, but Jesus didn't leave him there. Jesus said this sickness is for the glory of God. Because Jesus got to raise him from the dead. Amen. And you know, sometimes we get things, and the Lord delivers us from them, and we get to give God great glory because He delivers us from something He gave us. Now, which do you think gets God the greater glory? Delivering you from the common cold or from cancer? Which gives God the greater glory? So we're dealing with death, Lazarus. We're dealing with blindness for 35 years, the man of John chapter 9. You say, well, then if I really wanted to give God glory... I would stop worrying about all these little ridiculous things. That's right. And you would say, Lord, if you really want to get glory out of my life, bring something big. I would pray that prayer very carefully, very humbly. The first reason bad things happen to Christians are for the glory of God. Why did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? For the glory of God. Because God said, Paul, I cannot reveal my strength through you in prosperity. I have to give you this thorn in the flesh that buffets you, a messenger from Satan, and you don't like it, and you've prayed three times for me to take it away. But Paul, how can I best show my strength through you unless I give you a bad thing in your life that you get to smile about and worship me instead of whining? Like everyone else would in this world. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Paul said, I get excited now about persecutions. I get excited about these things because when I am weak, when God does something to me that makes me weak in the eyes of everyone else, and I am able to continue on and do my job and do it cheerfully and to worship Him, I show the strength of Christ through me. And if that's the way that God has arranged it, I gladly rejoice in my infirmities. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a fundamental lesson. 2 Corinthians 12. Oh, this helps. 2 Corinthians 12, part of Paul's defense of his apostleship and authority of the church at Corinth, which he had founded and preached to them for their first year and a half. Verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure, because remember, he had a revelation by going to heaven and seeing and hearing things there. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know, sort of like the Chaldeans and the Sabians 
over there in Job chapter 1 that wrecked havoc on Job's assets and children. A messenger of Satan. We don't know what it is. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't need to know. But it buffeted Paul. And if there's one man that was alive on earth that the devil would have wanted to slow down and stop, it would have been the Apostle Paul. So we can just safely assume it was a serious matter. To buffet him. Pound him. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's all the Lord had to say to Paul, and he's saying it to you and me right now. So what's our response if we're going to be like Paul? Most gladly. Gladly? Or most gladly? Most gladly. If it's for the glory of God, anything for the glory of God. If it's for the strength of God and revealing it to others, anything. Most gladly. Is everyone in here committed to be like Paul? Most gladly. Most gladly. Therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong by the strengthening of Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. How do you get to show the strength of Christ in you? By being happy when you're prosperous? Hello! How much strength does that take? The world can do that. Being happy when they're prospering. It's being happy and cheerful and thankful and worshiping when you're afflicted. And so Paul said, I take pleasure. Lord, teach us these things. Lord, your word is perfect and is able to make us perfect if we'll simply do it. Paul gave us the example. The Lord Jesus gave us the example. David gave us the example. Job gave us the example. Help us to follow their examples. Most gladly, therefore, that therefore, you always ask, what is the therefore, therefore, because therefore is always drawing a conclusion, and the conclusion is, because God said this to me about afflictions, therefore, because of that, I am going to respond this way. And the first response is in verse 9, most gladly. The second response is in verse 10, I take pleasure. In both cases, it uses the word therefore. Because if once the, once the Lord explained this to us, that should be enough. It's for the glory of God. More after our break. <laughs> 